today on Ag News Daily. The world is going to need all forms of energy, traditional petroleum-based energy, it's wind, it's solar, and then it's also renewable energy like we have just talked about. Hey, listeners, welcome to October 25th, 2022, Tuesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Reddit Red Summit Advisors and FarmingTheWeb.ca. Create your first listing today and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Tanner Winterhoff joined by Delaney this morning. How's Delaney doing? I'm good, Tanner, but I got to tell you something. I got to go on a soapbox here for just a few minutes, if you'll indulge me. Go right ahead. Well, last night we went to go see a movie because it's the end of harvest. So we thought, let's celebrate. So we went and saw the final Halloween movie. Halloween ends with Michael Myers. And a few minutes into the movie, I realized that there was a baby in the movie theater because it started crying. And I thought, okay, well, that seems bizarre and a little bit rude to other guests to bring a baby into a movie theater. But then, Tanner, I realized that they had brought their entire family of children all under the age of 10 to the Michael Myers movie. And I thought, what the heck? I, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted that you would take your child to that because it's fairly gory and it's rated R. <laughs> I wonder, I was going to ask you what it was rated. Yeah, I don't think that's something that I would be taking my daughters to at their age. That uh, does seem like they're pushing the limits a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have nightmares. I have nightmares sometimes from some of that stuff. I can't imagine being like five and having to go to that. I'm sure there's some people that love Halloween just as much as others love Christmas. And that's, they're probably on their, their mission to watch all the Halloween movies. I guess. I don't know. I was just really thrown off by it and kind of disturbed. Yeah, I could see, I could see exactly why you would be. Well, something else that we've been watching here, obviously is harvest progress. So corn harvest progress as of the week ending October, 23rd was 70 or 61 percent completed that was up 16 percentage points from the previous week this year's harvest progress is now three points behind last year but nine points above the five-year average when you look at soybeans harvest progress was 80 percent completed 17 percentage points up from the week before nine points behind last year but 13 points ahead of the five-year average it's kind of a mixed bag there delaney Planting progress for winter wheat was 79% completed, pretty close to the average pace of 78. 49% of the winter wheat had emerged as of Sunday, which is seven points behind the five-year average. Yes, I saw that piece of news as well, Tanner. And it's important to also note on fire, but combines, fields, all those things are happening right now since we've seen drier than usual weather this year. And so it's also important to, I know it's important to get harvest done. I fully understand that, but it's also important to factor in safety as well. So make sure that you are taking precautions to make sure a combine or field fire doesn't happen on your farm. Cause there are just so many this year. I feel like that are being reported. Yeah. Had you seen that article from Cooper County, Missouri, where yeah. they had obviously extreme drought conditions and unfortunately, one of those farmer fires carried into the town of Wooldridge, 
and uh, cause significant amount of damage. It looks like displacing uh, quite a few families. Uh, Interstate 70 was closed for a couple of hours. Uh, they had significant number. They said three to 4,000 acres were harmed in that fire. 25 buildings were destroyed. So yeah, it's unfortunate. We certainly don't want to see that. We want to put safety at the top of everything for our listeners this fall. We certainly do, Tanner. Well, Tanner, this is the first year in the history of the Renewable Fuel Standard that the EPA will have a direct say in the biofuel renewable fuel renewable volume obligation. Historically, Congress has been the one to create the ethanol ceiling, and we've typically seen it come in at 15 billion gallons. But this year, the EPA has the opportunity to raise that ethanol blending requirement and RVO, renewable volume obligations. And a lot of folks are asking them on, of course, one side of the aisle, but agricultural states in particular are asking them to increase the volume obligations for all fuel types. They said that this will help energy, the energy sector, the economy, the rural economy, and the environment. They're saying it's a triple whammy in a positive way. Uh, There was a group of 13 bipartisan senators that wrote a letter urging them to expand this initiative and have asked the EPA also to allow the year-round sale of E15. So this is something, of course, we saw under the Trump administration and haven't really seen it come to fruition under this new administration. But they're saying this is a positive time here, that the EPA could really make a difference for the corn industry and the renewable fuels industry. Right. And there's a lot of pressure to come in because OPEC had just announced their massive oil production cuts. They stated that they're Oil production will be cut by 2 million barrels per day, the largest cut since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. CNN, of course, is what the location that's reporting this, said that this move threatens to raise the price of gasoline just weeks before the crucial midterm election. So it'd be nice if the EPA put a little focus on continuing to find ways for us to produce renewable fuels, because crude, especially coming out of the OPEC, is going to be more difficult to get a hold of. After this announcement, The reduction was uh, approximately 2% of the global oil demand. Brent crude rose 1.5%. So at least it didn't go two for two, but now it is over $90 a barrel following the announcement. The news also sent the price of U.S. oil up 1.7%. So CNN is continuing to monitor this and will continue to report in November. This will be interesting to see what happens when the OPEC has their December meeting. According to them, the drastic reduction was made in light of uncertainty that surrounds the global economic position. So they're stating, Delaney, that the economy might not be present funding-wise to purchase oil, while right now you look at supply and demand targets, like we talked yesterday on diesel fuel and uh, other fuels for heating, and we're got tight supplies. But here we are, the OPEC is looking at reducing their production. They certainly are, Tanner. But one thing we did not see a reduction in last year was a wetter Midwest than usual, which is a complete 180, of course, than what we're seeing this year. But we saw record payments for crop insurance last year, uh, 2020 and 2021, both due to excess moisture in quite a few areas of the Midwest. 
along with these additional precipitation, we of course saw increased federal crop insurance for those farmers that were in some of those areas impacted. Likely going to see the opposite this year, Tanner. But um, what we're seeing all in all here was from the period of 2001 through 2020, we saw an average program paid out of $12.9 billion for all of the access moisture claims that happened in about 661 different counties across the U.S. and across 738 counties in eight of the top corn producing states, access moisture indemnity payments totaled $14.5 billion. That's a crazy amount of money. But they're saying here that if this trend continues, the program is going to continue to get more expensive, which may not be viewed positively by those in uh, mainstream America that are, of course, our taxpayers paying the bill on some of this stuff. Yikes. Yeah. Excess moisture is are going to cause an issue. I actually talked with a farmer from Australia last night during another podcast mm-hmm. recording, and they are experiencing their third 100 year flood in the last 12 months. Unfortunately, this is also supposed to be their winter crop harvest season, and it's all washed into the South Australian sea is what he was telling us. So unfortunate there. Also, Hurricane Roslyn the Category 3 storm made landfall yesterday while well, it was actually on Sunday near Santa Cruz in the state of Mex- or Nayard, Mexico. Uh, it did land as a Category 3 and continued on into inland Mexico. It did miss a couple of coastal tourist towns, but there are reports of mudslides, uh, flash flooding, and, and of course the storm surge is not... Uh, being friendly to that western coast of Mexico. But when you look out over to the Atlantic, there is a broad area of clouds, showers and thunderstorms headed toward Bermuda, which might become the next hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean. Right now, the system is dubbed Invest 94L. It is not quite to tropical storm level. If it drops down into the tropical temperatures of the atmosphere, it could develop more power, but that'll be the next one, Delaney, that we are going to keep our eyes on as uh, we don't need any more severe weather this fall. We'd like to give our listeners to get all the way to the end of the line for harvest, but don't forget today, since we are sponsored by uh, farmingtheweb.ca, if you are looking to quickly and efficiently buy or sell your ag products or get the word out about your ag event, avoid the headaches of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca, the best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. So check them out. Delaney, that's the news I've got for today. What do you have for the rest of our conversation? Well, I have just one final piece of news here as we look at total economic loss coming from the Mississippi River levels that we've seen this year. Forecasts are suggesting that we've seen economic losses, Tanner, of at least $20 billion and counting from the Mississippi River's historically low water levels. And I think that's just a crazy amount and not something we fully consider. Of course, it impacts grain farmers and their ability to move and ship grain, but it affects a lot of other industries as well. And uh, $20 billion is quite the hefty price tag. Yeah. Oof. Like I said, that's even hard to fathom what that even looks like. Yeah. And it's because I didn't realize it. I knew that the Mississippi 
the Missouri were a large portion of our exports, but they said it accounts for 92% of the country's ag exports. That seems high. That's what I thought too. Right. Interesting. No, we'd have to, we'd have to check into that for sure. But yes, that's, uh, that's all I've got for news today. Let's pause one more time for our sponsor of the day to share a message with you. Hey, this is Ann over at the BLM. With this drought, we're going to need to cut that permit two weeks early. We sure want those calves, but they'll be coming in light, so we'll need to negotiate. Hey, this is your Red Summit Advisors agent. We've got a check in the mail to you now from your PRF policy. Help restore your peace of mind with solutions like pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance. Visit RedSummit.com or call 1-800-825-2355 to talk with a local agent about how PRF insurance could help you stay afloat this year. Well, Tanner, as we hop in to take a look at where the overnight markets here left us, we saw a little bit of weakness here in the overnight in the new crop corn contract down three pennies to open this morning at 678 and a half. New crop soybeans were unchanged from yesterday's closing price at 1372. And in the wheat pits, December Chicago contract down four and three quarter cents in the overnight will open this morning at 834. In the livestock pits, We'll see the December live cattle contract open at a buck seventy, or excuse me, open a buck seventy higher at a buck fifty four, twelve and a half. November feeders will open at one seventy nine fifteen, and November lean hogs, excuse me, December lean hogs will open at eighty seven ninety two and a half. Tanner, today is of course Tech Tuesday. We're going to kick things over to a conversation somewhat related to tech to see what's coming down the pipeline at Chevron Reg. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Kevin Lukey, who is the president of Chevron Renewable Energy Group. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to talk about the future of the renewable fuels. Happy to do it, uh, Delaney, and appreciate getting the opportunity to uh, sort of tell our story, if you would, huh? Absolutely. Well, Kevin, before we get to Chevron's story, we want to learn more about your story. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your background with our listeners? Yeah, so uh, thanks, Delaney. I grew up on a farm in Western Iowa, outside of a small town called Persia. In the beginning, uh, mom and dad had hogs, beef, and uh, obviously uh, row crops. So the the hogs and the beef are gone, but uh, they still uh, are farming. They're uh, in their early 80s, and uh, they have about 1,500 acres. And uh, when I'm not uh, at work, uh, I'm out uh, on the farm helping uh, went to school at Iowa State, uh, got my engineering degree, uh, got on a job offer with Chevron. That's taken me to several different parts of the Chevron group uh, companies uh, where I've worked uh, in California, Texas, Florida, Thailand, and England. And so uh, most recently in June, I was announced to be the president of the Chevron Renewable Energy Group based in Ames. And so super happy to be back in Iowa and uh, sort of almost went for a circle from uh, graduating from Iowa State to back in Ames, if you will. That's one heck of a journey. I'm impressed. I'm sure your experiences overseas were very valuable to this position. What excites you the most about this opportunity and recent acquisition between Chevron and REG? Yeah, so... uh like I said, I almost have to pinch myself in the morning the, the opportunity that uh, that I have uh, to lead the Chevron REG team. 
Um, the REG business prior to the acquisition had been in the renewable fuels business for well over 20 years, and they had accumulated uh, several biodiesel plants and renewable diesel plants. And they really had a reputation in the industry of being an industry leader and, and understanding how to process different feedstocks to make renewable diesel and biodiesel. And so what's really exciting is a, a team of very talented individuals uh, here in the Midwest and in the other locations that we we operate that are able to to make a renewable fuel uh, sourced uh, locally uh, from all kinds of different feedstocks, from soybean oil to corn oil to animal fat to, to use cooking oil, and really providing a, a solution for today uh, for the lower carbon needs that we have in, in, as a society. So, Kevin, as you look at, you know, the future of renewable energy, we're talking now only not only now about renewable fuels such as biodiesel and ethanol, but we're also starting to have the conversation regarding carbon and how that plays a role in sustainability here as well. When you guys look at the future of sustainability, what's Chevron's, first of all, definition of it? Because I feel like everybody kind of has their own definition, but also where do you see this conversation going? Yeah, so as you said, folks uh, across the industry all have different uh, definitions of sustainability. Uh, I think we would look at it in the sense of uh, sort of making sure that we look at our footprint and what are we doing in all types of different uh, uh, aspects of our business and just making sure that we're having a a sort of a less impact on sort of the environment and the, the world that we live in. Uh, that's pretty broad, but it covers uh, many different areas of what sustainable sustainability uh, actually is. When you think about renewable fuels, uh, what we're trying to do is provide a fuel today that can be used today that has lower carbon intensity uh, versus petroleum fuel. And that's achieved through uh, our renewable diesel and our biodiesel that we can can be used uh, in engines today. And, and what's really important to think about the future, uh, Delaney is, is that there are areas of our, uh, transportation segment, uh, across the globe that are going to be very hard to decarbonize. Uh, airplanes come to mind, ships across the ocean come to mind, uh, railroads come to mind. And so those, uh, are the areas that we're really focusing in on to provide fuels today and into the future for those, uh, you know, types of transportations that simply just aren't going to be able to be electrified or electrified uh, very easily. So that's where uh, and what excites me about uh, what we're doing uh, and the future uh, is really for those transportation types is very, very bright, if you will. I came across an article, Kevin, that stated Chevron has a goal to produce 100,000 barrels a day of renewable fuel. And that REG, the Chevron REG portion is going to help get them closer to that target. What types of feedstocks are you using when you look to make this renewable diesel? Yeah, so uh, thanks for the question. We really do believe, and I've mentioned it several times, that the future of fuel is is lower carbon. And so Chevron 
uh, several years ago had committed to Wall Street and investors that we were going to have 100,000 barrels of capacity, just like what you mentioned, uh, which is over 4 million gallons a day uh, to be able to uh, bring to the marketplace. Uh, Chevron REG today will bring about a third of that goal. We have an expansion in Geismar, Louisiana, uh, that will uh, bring us well over 50% of that goal. That will start up in 2024. So we're on the, the way to meeting that goal. Your question about what types of feedstocks that we're uh, looking at using, I uh, sort of mentioned it earlier, is soybean oil, corn oil, animal fat, and use cooking oil, but uh, that's just the feedstocks of today. And if you look at some of the areas that we're also looking at, uh, we have uh, an investment in a company called Covercress. Uh, that uh, company is looking at providing a cover crop that can be grown in the off season that has high oil content uh, in the seeds that could be harvested in the spring. So that's an example of the future uh, and future different types of crops that we believe are going to be needed to meet all of the demand for uh, the renewable fuels. Uh, the other area that Chevron has invested is uh, just recently, the beginning of the year, we announced that we were investing in a joint venture with Bungie. Uh, they're a very large uh, seed crusher uh, across the globe. And so we have invested in two of their facilities in Cairo, Illinois, and Desterham, Louisiana. And uh, we will be 50-50 owners of those uh, facilities. And both of those are doubling the crush capacity of those facilities to really uh, meet the future demands of soybean oil and other types of seeds that need to be crushed for the renewable fuels business of the future. And Kevin, as you look at the future, you know, I think a lot of folks in agriculture sometimes feel like we are policy takers and not policy makers when it comes to the renewable fuels industry and maybe misconceptions that folks have about biodiesel, ethanol, etc. What are you guys doing to help educate policymakers and the general public? And how do you see this path forward? Yeah, so uh, great question, Delaney. Uh, if you step back and you just have to look at this summer, you know, the challenges that the world had in supplying energy uh, really reiterates that uh, the world is going to need all forms of energy. And so uh, it's traditional petroleum based energy. It's wind, it's solar, uh, you know, and then it's also renewable energy like we have just talked about. And so our discussions and uh with the lawmakers and policymakers and the general public has been really around two things, right? It's going to take all forms of energy for us to, to, to keep and maintain the, the uh, standards of living that we have in society today and into the future. And the other area is going to take all of us working together to be able to get to a point to find a solution. This is a complex uh, challenge that we have to decarbonize uh, the world, and it's complex, and it's going to take everybody working together uh, across uh, the table uh, for finding solutions to where we need to head to. This is all exciting, and we always enjoy talking about the future here on Ag News Daily for our listeners. But did we miss anything that you want to share with them before we wrap up this short conversation? 
No, I'd just like to say thanks for all you guys do to be able to communicate uh, issues to to the agriculture community. It's really important for all of us to stay informed. This is a space that's moving quickly, and uh, it's it's really nice to see the things that you guys do on your your podcast and helping educate uh, the ag community on, on many different issues. So thanks for the time to chat today. Absolutely. We appreciate you. And if our listeners want to learn more about Chevron REG, how can they find out more about you guys? Yeah, so uh, I think a good place is uh, LinkedIn. There's uh, several opportunities on LinkedIn. And then there's also, we have our Chevron Renewable Energy webpage on Facebook. So those would be good, two good ways uh, to be able to, to get in touch with us. Well, there you go, Delaney. Another conversation with a company right in our backyard. Happy to have their part of their division right here in Ames, Iowa. That's right, Tanner. And good conversation there with Kevin. Certainly appreciate his time today, but we're going to have a lot of great conversations this week. We've got a good lineup of some interesting conversations. So folks do stay tuned for this. You can also follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? 